Welcome to Long Story Short, sponsored by the Kirkpatrick Foundation. I'm Ted Struley, Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. We're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. Whitney Bryan covers mental health for Oklahoma Watch and has been reporting that the Oklahoma City Police Department is working with one of the state's largest mental health care providers to change the way the city responds to people in crisis. Whitney, what do we know about the new plan so far? Well, Ted, the Oklahoma City Police Department has been working with NorthCare, um, that's the mental health care provider here in Oklahoma, um, to develop a program that would partner police with clinicians, so therapists, counselors, folks like that who have experienced mental health, and they would respond as a pair to nonviolent mental health calls. So they would go out together and there would be an opportunity for the clinician to address and help the person in crisis without the police having to get involved in that person's care or trying to make some sort of diagnosis that they're not trained to do. Uh, But then police would also be there to keep the clinicians and the person in crisis safe. This spring, you reported that the city allocated some $300,000 to change the way it responds to mental health emergencies. Is that money supporting this new effort? So that's where it gets a little bit complicated. That money is not supporting this effort. And actually, the city and the state are not putting any money at all into this new program, which is called Champions, by the way. Um, That money was set aside for a program that's being developed by two working groups made up of about 50 community members, um, which does include some some police force, um, city leaders, and then also just residents here in Oklahoma City. So that's a whole separate pot. Um, The Champions program that we're talking about now between the police department and NorthCare is being funded by a federal grant. So they got $5 million dollars. Um, That will cover the program over two years uh, in 2022 and 2023. So how will the city use that $300,000 that it had set aside in the budget? So those working groups that I mentioned, they have come up with some recommendations for how to use that funding and how to create a new program. Um, And their recommendation is a bit different than what the police department's working on with NorthCare. They actually are recommending that the city implement a program uh, that does not involve police responding to these mental health calls. So while the Champions program will put police and clinicians uh, at the scene together, the recommendation by these working groups um, that could potentially be funded by that 300,000, that would probably look like a program where clinicians, therapists, counselors, um, and probably, you know, a medical responder, someone who could provide first aid would go out to the scene, but police would ideally not be involved in those calls. Uh, So what's next? How does this roll out? So for the Champions program that the police and North Care are working on, we should be seeing that roll out next month, sometime in January. And then that will continue through 2022 and 2023. Um, I hear that they're going to keep adapting that as it goes and, and get some community feedback, you know, as that gets off the ground. So we'll be seeing that happening soon. And then next year, we should also be looking for sort of a more detailed plan on how the city hopes to use that three 
$300,000 and what that will look like um, and when it will launch. So that is going to the city manager's office now. The city manager will make a recommendation officially to the city council, and then the city council will have to adopt whatever program they decide to fund with that $300,000. Got it. Thanks, Whitney. Listeners, you can read all about that topic and all of Whitney's mental health coverage, which you can do at oklahomawatch.org. Trevor Brown has been reporting on COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy and reasons behind Oklahoma's low vaccination rates. Trevor, you're specifically uh, looking at one demographic group that many studies have shown have some of the strongest anti-vaccine views. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, like you said, there's been a number number of studies now looking at what groups are hesitant to the vaccine or say they will not get it under any circumstances. Um, one of the, the biggest groups on time after time of studies has been white evangelical Christians. Um, there's something like 20 to 25 percent of that group say they haven't got vaccinated and they don't plan to. Um, in comparison, about 10 percent of the, you know, the entire United States population says that they um, also wouldn't get the vaccine under any circumstance. So this is a group that's definitely been more vocal and been harder to reach by public health experts and others to try to get them vaccinated. So tell us about some of your reporting on this. What what have you learned that, that some of these uh, religious leaders are telling their congregations? Yeah, so I wanted to get into what church leaders were actually saying in church. So what I did is I looked up some of the biggest churches in the state. Many of them are putting their sermons on YouTube or hosting them on their website. So I listened to and watched um, dozens of hours of, of sermons, kind of find out what they did. The overarching thing that I found was that many churches are not talking about COVID, the vaccines, masks at all, or if they do, they're just saying, you know, this is your your decision. Um, you know, we're not here to judge you. Some of my reporting has found some churches and religious leaders are you know, more on the conspiracy side, you know, doing more overt misinformation. But the biggest takeaway was how little it was being discussed in church. Mm. But it, now some churches and religious groups have taken a much different approach, right? What are what are they doing? Yeah, so I've, I've talked with some church leaders and some um, people in the community that, you know, have been very proactive about encouraging their congregation to get vaccinated. Um, several churches here in Oklahoma City have um, hosted or worked with the county health department to do vaccine drives. Um, you know, they talk about it maybe not every week, but you know, it's a, it's a message that they care about, and what they're saying is that, you know, this is part of their ideals of a church, that, you know, this is something that affects the whole community, and they find a religious reason why getting vaccinated is important, and they're encouraging their congregation. Like I said before, a lot of churches are not doing that at all. Now, you've, uh, I know, talked to some experts and some religious scholars for the story, what do they have to say on why many religious leaders struggle with this topic? Yeah, so I think just like everyone, this has been a controversial topic, and pastors are, you know, church leaders of a uh, usually a congregation with a lot of different views, so it's hard to appease everyone. So a lot of them, um, the experts told me, they try to walk the kind of this middle line. They don't want to, 
you don't want to offend the people that are not getting vaccinated. You don't want to offend the people that are getting vaccinated. You know, the same with the, the mass debate that we had, um, you know, earlier this during the pandemic. So a lot of them are staying away from the issue altogether. You know, a, a lot of experts that are, you know, really trying to get people vaccinated say this is a problem because, you know, this is one of the groups that a lot of people look towards to advice. You look towards your doctor, your family, your friends, your church community. And if they're not talking about it, you may not think it's as important as it should be. Now, it seems politics also uh, come into play for uh, some of these church communities, right? What what have you seen in terms of how the public policy debate is shaping what's discussed in the churches? Yeah, so certainly here in Oklahoma, there's a lot of overlap between the Oklahoma Republican Party and some you know, religious leaders, there's a number of legislators that have or are or have been a pastor. Um, during my reporting, I found, you know, several um, Republican um, state senators or state representatives, you know, they're going to churches, they're talking to the congregation, they're being invited in. Um, some of them are, you know, saying things that are running counter to what the state health department is saying. You know, they're raising questions about the um, efficiency and safety of the vaccine. Meanwhile, you have the health department saying, you know, the vaccines are safe. They're the best way to, um, you know, battle this pandemic we're in. But you, then you have, you know, these state representatives that are, you know, giving a different um, viewpoint. And obviously, you know, we're going into a session next year where, you know, mass debates and vaccines are still going to be a major topic. So it would be interesting to see how the overlap between religious freedoms and politics plays out. Well, thanks, Trevor. Listeners, be sure to follow all of Trevor's coverage on the Democracy Beat at OklahomaWatch.org. Last month, the governor issued an executive order in response to the Oklahoma State Department of Health establishing a process for non-binary people to change their gender on their birth certificate. He demanded that these changes no longer be made and called on legislators to immediately pass legislation when the session starts in February that clearly states changes in sex or gender on birth certificate goes against the state's law. Rebecca Nahara covers race and equity for Oklahoma Watch. Rebecca, prior to this announcement, what was the process for Oklahomans getting a gender marker amendment made? Um, So the amendment process varies from state to state. Um, But in Oklahoma, all you need is a court order. Um, The individual would take their court order and present it to the State Department of Health's Office of Vital Records. um, Just say, like, this is a change I want. And it's pretty, pretty easy, pretty straightforward. But um, in order to get that order, you need to get um, a diagnosis, a gender dysphoria diagnosis from a professional to give to your attorney to um, essentially prove yourself in court that you're uh, deserving of this court order. So does the the governor's executive order really change anything? Um, So that's kind of where it gets complicated. Um, Changes can still be made. Um, It just kind of varies from judge to judge. Um, Right now, the rules for, like, amending your birth certificate, there's nothing stating anything about gender, right? So, for example, uh, maybe you find out the person you grew up thinking your father isn't actually your father, so you need to change your birth certificate. You can do that. Um, 
But as far as gender goes, um, there isn't anything stating that you can't change it. So what some attorneys have been telling me uh, to pretty much summarize the process is because there isn't a law stating that you can't, you can. Um, But in light of the executive order, some judges have been kind of hesitant on um, granting these court orders. Um, Sometimes people won't get the X marker uh, just because the rules aren't really clear right now. so it's just kind of complicated at the moment. Why, why would somebody seek to change their gender on a birth certificate? So if someone is um, non-binary or trans or two-spirit, um, you know, having uh, proper identification affects your day-to-day um, activities. And while you might not need a birth certificate from day to day, you do need ID pretty regularly. Um, but in order to have your gender accurately presented on your ID, you need to have it accurately presented on your birth certificate. So um, by not being allowed to amend your birth certificate, you're not allowed to change your ID. So when it comes to things like opening a bank account or even purchasing alcohol or things like that, um, you want your ID to properly reflect who you are as a person. um, Because um, say you came out since the time that you took your photo for your ID. Um, if you don't look the way that you did then, you, people might not think you're actually you, if that makes sense. Sure. Uh, so what are people within the, the non-binary and, and transgender community saying about it? Um, so there's uh, obviously some mixed feelings. Of course, um, no one's really happy about the executive order. Um, there are some people who are hesitant to you know, move forward with changing their gender on their birth certificate. Um, I talked to a non-binary person who um, they were seeking to get the X marker on their birth certificate, but in light of the executive order, um, they're considering getting a male, uh, an M, on their birth certificate because they have started taking um, or they've started hormone replacement therapy. Um, So now they're presenting more masculine. And what they told me is, um, you know, they're afraid if they get pulled over, uh, they would want the M to reflect, or, you know, their ID to reflect how they're presenting for safety reasons. Um, but overall, within the community, no one's really wanting to stop. People are kind of wanting, uh, willing to fight this, whatever may come. Um, people are fully expecting, you know, legislation to come in the spring whenever um, the session starts up uh, targeting this community, but people are still willing to stand their ground pretty much. You mentioned uh, a couple of times as we've been talking about an X marker on the birth certificate. Can you explain what that is? Yes. Um, so having an X on your birth certificate uh, reflects that you're non-binary, whereas like an M represents male, F represents female. Okay. So it's just the letter designation like an M or an F right. traditionally would have been. Right. Okay. Thanks, Rebecca. You can read all of Rebecca's coverage of race and equity at OklahomaWatch.org. Oklahoma Watch is a nonprofit organization specializing in investigative journalism. You can find us on the web at oklahomawatch.org. I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening. We'd like you to know that we're a 501c3, and in order to bring you consistent, investigative, nonpartisan journalism throughout Oklahoma, we rely on donors like you. During the months of November and December, we participate in a program called Newsmatch, where a couple of large public foundations match every single dollar that readers and listeners like you 
contribute to our organization. If you value the news that we provide, you can go to oklahomawatch.org, go to our donation page, and every dollar that you're able to donate will be matched by the Newsmatch program from now through the end of the year. Thanks for listening.